Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, um, you have so much to teach us about so many things in life and following Christ, um, what it means to lay our lives down just as Christ did for us, Lord, and that's really the, the bedrock of what marriage is really all about and the purposes of the institution that you created. So Lord, tonight I just pray for all these gathered and for those who would listen to this, uh, that they would have an uh, understanding that comes from you, Lord. Uh, that you would be working by your spirit to give instruction, to give wisdom, uh, to give healing, uh, to give hope um, and purpose, Lord, to this beautiful thing you have ordained called marriage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, we're going to jump right into it here. Um, yes. Expectations are really interesting parts of life. Expectations. Um, oh, this doesn't work. Oh, no, wait. I was supposed to have a different in, um, point of introduction. This was supposed to be my introduction. <laughs> Marriage. We are gathered here today. Anybody know that re reference? Princess Bride. Okay, good. Okay, now we can get on to the topic at hand. <laughs> So, expectations. Um, what are some of the things that you expected? Now, think of the time before you became a Christian. And if, if, if I'm assuming you guys are all in here are Christians. If you're not, then you need to talk to me after class. <laughs> we'll set you straight. Yeah, well, we'll, just, we'll give you the gospel and the Lord will set you straight. Um, or Cesar will, because he does that. <laughs> what were your expectations about, or what did you think God was like before you knew him? Right? Well, let's, just, let's just come up with a, a quick list of what you thought God was like, or maybe what you thought church was like, your perceptions. I'll go first. One of the things that I thought of, of, about God and the church was it was just a place of rules. Anybody else want to add to this list? It doesn't have to be exhaustive, just a couple things. Tradition, Tradition okay? What else? Anything else? Yeah? Hard fist, but is that like a dictator type of guy was heavy-handed? Heavy-handed, dictatorial? Yeah. Sure. I was, I was looking forward to spelling the word dictatorial, so that's, that, that fits with my expectation for the class. Dictatorial slash heavy-handed. And again, we don't have to make this exhaustive, but the idea is that when you have expectations about what something is, it drives you to certain conclusions about that, right? If, you, if these are your expectations about what it meant to to know God or to be in church, then those expectations would probably keep you away from him and away from his institutions. 
The same thing is true with marriage. We have certain expectations. Think about what you thought about marriage before you entered it. If you're, if you're here tonight, you're not married, but think about right now, what are your expectations that marriage will do for you or bring to you? If you are married, think about what they were or maybe even what they are. And we're all just going to take one minute to write down, try to write down five expectations you have about marriage. And by the way, I'm not going to ask you to share them, okay? So it's, this is not like a, a list that I was going to potentially embarrass you. Just expectations you have about marriage. We'll just take a minute and write them down. Okay. Hopefully by now you guys have written at least a few things down about expectations. We're just going to let that be for now. You wrote it down and we'll, we'll let it be. I see already there's some husbands and wives that are helping each other to create this list. <laughs> we'll get to that actually. Tonight is not going to be on like the roles of husbands and wives. That's actually going to be next week. Tonight is all about uh, foundations, origins. What is marriage? What is the meaning behind it? What is the purpose behind it? And actually to start, I want you guys to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 24. Deuteronomy 6, verse 24. Now, while you turn there, I'll just give you a little bit of context. In this, in this book, Moses is giving the people the law a second time after they've gone through the wilderness. And, and they've, uh, they've come to this beautiful chapter, chapter 6, which is, has what we call the great prayer in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's, it's, it's wonderful things flowing through that. And he has just recently gone through the Ten Commandments. And in verse 24 of chapter 6, it says this, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes. All right? So they have all the rules that have been given. You have the reasons, the loving of the Lord. And it says, To fear the Lord our God for our good. Always. And that's the thing I really want to draw your attention to. To fear the Lord our God for our good, always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And that is so important for us to understand about this God that we serve and the things that he has designed for us because if we're not convinced on like a base level that what he prescribes for us is for our good, let's really draw attention to this, for our good. And if you're a note taker, write down for my good. Just write it down in your notes. These things that the Lord gives us is for my good. If you don't have that base understanding, it's going to be really hard to accept the things that are given to you because you're always going to chafe against them when they, when they cause you to have questions or doubts. But if you're convinced that the things that the Lord gives us are for our good, 
that you can kind of let it be like, okay, maybe I don't understand it fully. Maybe I don't know how to apply this thing. Maybe I don't even like this thing. But I can let it come in and wash over me and do the work that it's supposed to do. Let's get to marriage now. The genesis of marriage is really important. Obviously, that's going to be in the book of Genesis. But I actually want to start in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 19. So if you go ahead and turn there. And we're going to read this section of Scripture that Jesus is is teaching on. Verses 1 through 10. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now remember, he's just finished doing all these miraculous works. And the first thing they ask him is kind of a a point of contention. So Jesus answers them in verse 4. He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now did they accept this teaching? Did they say, oh, I get it. You're talking about what God intended. Okay, I understand it. No, they did not. They said to him, verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? They're just pounding back on the same question they had to try to trip him up at the beginning. And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning... It was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And his disciples said to him, this was the conclusion of the guys who were on his side at the time, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry Yes, there is some comedy in this. You see, Jesus gave them this wonderful explanation, and the explanation really has to do, again, with the heart and this issue of the for our good. You see, what were these Pharisees trying to do? They were not trying to find a way into understanding marriage. They weren't trying to have a better appreciation of how... They they didn't ask Jesus, how do I love my wife better? That was not their question. Their question was, how do we get out of this thing? How do we escape? And can we do it in a legal way? That's called loophole, right? Do you know people who look for loopholes? Yes. (laughs) Says the guy. Okay, in the finances. Yeah, yes. (laughs) Have you ever looked for a loophole? Yeah, you're human beings. Of course you have, right? Is there some way out of here? Something different? What's this? There's some new tax law about that? Yes. Like we just got through tax season, right? She goes, it's got to be a deduction for buying bananas on a Thursday. 
somewhere in this law. They were trying to find a way out. And what Jesus was telling them when he said, have you not read? Was, why don't you try to find a way in? Why don't you try to really understand what this is really all about? And of course, to do that, what did he do? He went right back to the beginning of the institution, the creation, the beginning of marriage, Adam and Eve, and that's what we're going to do tonight. So we're going to get back and look at all those early sources and make sure we really want to understand. And that's the purpose of this class. How do we get in to understanding marriage, to understanding its purposes, its origins, and how it's supposed to function for you. You're all individuals. You're all unique. Not one of you is completely like the other. In your couples, you're, you know the differences that, that, are, that exist between you. There's a reason. There's a purpose for it. So let's get back into Genesis, and let's, let's understand these two passages so Jesus actually quotes from two passages from the book of Genesis. So again, turn in your Bibles, which is going to happen a lot in this class, back to Genesis, chapter 1, the creation account, verse 27. And actually, we're going to back up just a few verses just before that. Oh, yes, let's actually start in verse 26. So this is on the sixth day of creation. Many things have already been made. And now, in verse 26, uh, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And thus was the beginning of the creation of human beings. This is the first time that that word us is used. And it's, it's of course pointing to the issue of the triune nature of God. He says, let us make man in our image. So there's an image, right? And we are all image bearers of the creator. According to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. It's interesting how the word specifically puts it that way twice. And then it says this, male and female, he created them. Now, 50, 60 years ago, this wouldn't have been quite the landmark verse that it is now in our culture. That the living God, when he made man, actually created the two sexes, the two genders, male and female. And notice that, he did it, and he said it, before they were actually made. We go back into, into chapter 2, and you see how man was formed first, and then Eve later. But at the beginning, when he says, in our image, him speaking of himself, he says, male and female. There is a mystery, there is a beauty, and there's also a singularity about the fact that male and female are part of the image of God and specifically in their union. And of course then, he goes on in verse 28, and it says, Then God blessed them, right from the start. 
And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And that's the beginning. Male and female, the echo of the Creator together. The male, the female, and they were created to have dominion. They were created to have provision for, from God for food. And from the beginning, a partnership was created. A combination of these two in order to fulfill God's plan. Now, imagine if your life, wherever you are in life, right? Jobs, kids, no jobs, no kids, whatever. But imagine if your life was as simple as the description given here, that you were just a male and a female, that you had dominion over certain things of the earth, that God had provided all of your needs. And this is, again, this is before chapter 3. So this is before what, guys? Before sin. Does this not describe a simplicity that in some ways makes your heart almost kind of ache for? It does for me. You know, in my, in my mind's eye, and I think about this in a, kind of an, in a certain kind of imagination way, I think, wow, okay, male and female, and the guy, what's happening? Fish for them, they get to fish, they get to, um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe we'll um, skip over the creeping things that creep on the earth, but cattle, so there's, so there's plenty of fish, there's plenty of steak, right? They have, they have dominion, they're like, they get to rule, and then God provides them with everything that they need. Now, of course, at this point, I, I do point out that they were vegetarians because we, when we go on to the next verse, God only told them to eat certain things and the, from the beginning until the flood. They were just vegetarian things, but I don't like to think about that too much. It's a little bit depressing for me. <laughs> Anyhow, there's a simplicity here, and I think there's a reason why there's a kind of blessed simplicity is because that's the way he made it. He made it so that we in our union, male and female, would represent the Lord and have our needs met. That's it. I mean, it's not more complicated than that. But have we made it so much more complicated than that? We have made it so complicated, right? We have turned it into all kinds of stuff about you know, how we're supposed to be made happy and what the other person is supposed to do for us. And we'll get into all that stuff, all the blame game that happens in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. Um, but let's skip now ahead to the first, um, the first marriage. So this is now in chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 20. So in chapter 2, which if you don't know this, chapter 2 is basically a kind of a revisiting of details that happened within chapter one. So in chapter two, it was like more about how, how man was created again, Adam and then Eve. So Eve has now been created. Um, actually, let's go back to verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone and I will make him a helper comparable to him. So this is the, the, this is the mindset of God in looking at Adam and looking at just men. He's like, they need a helper. And then all the women said, yes, they do. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so
So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Do you think Adam was maybe tempted to come up with some silly names? I, I, if I would have been Adam, I would have been all over the place, guys, with like crazy, funky names. Anyhow, that's quite the aside. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And I think that's just kind of interesting, right? So the Lord parades before him all these creatures, and he's just sitting there like giraffe, chipmunk. Here it comes, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Duck. That's what I was getting at. But it says, because it says before he does that, right? It's not, he, he, the, the Lord says it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. It doesn't say Adam said that. But if it says, but for Adam, there was not found it. So I'm, I'm thinking Adam is having the first kind of realization of like, wait a second. There's a couple of them. There's, what about me? And so we, we continue and read on here. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but as, as far as anatomy is concerned, if you actually take, within, within a, a, a rib, there's a bone, but there's also a sac that goes over the bone. If the bone is removed, new bone will grow within that sac. Interestingly enough. Okay. And he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And imagine what that would have been like, right? Adam's there, woken up from probably the best nap ever. And then he sees this woman coming to him, and this is his first reaction. It doesn't say, and then he thought about it for a few minutes, put down his Xbox, ate a banana. No, none of that. No, no. It's first impressions, right? And Adam said, this, this. I think he was pretty impressed. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then we get the commandment. Therefore, and before I get into the, what that actually is, which we've already read, of course, he's saying this idea of there being the male and the female, the only conclusion of those two thou together is to create a union. That's immediately the thing that he's jumping into. Because of all these things, because women came from man, because the two of them themselves create together the image of God. They're, they are the image of God together. That's, and that's really the big point. Because of that, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Was there a father and mother at this point? There was not. This is prophetic. This is looking ahead through the generations that will follow. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one 
flesh. They shall experience the union that represents who God is in making them in his image. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And I love that also. Shame didn't exist yet, did it? But he points it out again prophetically that this is a place where there will not be shame. Do you guys remember before you became Christians how much shame, and maybe even as a Christian, you, you probably do still experience shame, but do you remember how much shame you had before? Things you felt bad about, things you were embarrassed to, to admit, things you were embarrassed to, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I thought that. Here he says, and they will not be ashamed. They were not ashamed. This union, this gathering together, this image-bearing of God had no shame. And that's where some of the greatest beauty is. So, we have this prophetic announcement. We have this first um, wedding, if you will, this first marriage at the, at the end of chapter 2. And immediately after that, what happens in the Bible? The temptation of fall of man. But marriage was there before. Look how many things were there before. Male and female were there before. The idea of union, the idea of God's purpose and design for making them these two genders, male and female, that they were to go together. That was all before the fall. This was all in God's mind and it is a beautiful thing. And this is where our first session will end for tonight. We're going to do like two 30-minute sessions. This is the end of the first one. You guys are going to go into small groups and kind of discuss these things, and we'll come back and we'll have a second session. But the, the uh, kind of culmination of this first session is this. Um, why did God make marriage? For unity in order to then represent and be an image bearer of God himself. This is the purpose. And remember when I had you guys write down before your expectations in marriage? Right now you're going to go to your, your groups, and what you're going to do is you're going to discuss what's the difference between the expectations you had or have and what it is that God intended when he put men and woman together back in the book of Genesis. Let's pray real quick, and then we'll divide up into groups. And we'll just split the room evenly this way. Okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I, I pray and ask, Lord, that you would lead us now, and we had good discussions as we try to understand and, and better um, appreciate how you made us and what you made us for in this beautiful thing called marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.